Welcome to the Art and Science of Joy podcast. This podcast is all about inspiring people to live more joyfully. So if you're seeking a bit more joy in your own life or seeking to bring some more joy to the lives of others, then this podcast could well be for you. And welcome to the Joy Superpower series in which we explore special powers each and one of us can cultivate to navigate these rather turbulent times in which we live. I'm Andrew Cannon, and I have the honor to be your host. And in this episode, I'm excited to be talking with Alison, also known as Anandi, the sleep guru, about the joy superpower of sleep and how good sleep can help you living a healthier, more joyful life. Anandi is an international sleep specialist who has worked in the wellness field for 30 years, wearing several hats such as an Ayurvedic consultant, an LLP instructor, and hypnotherapist, medication instructor, and breath coach. Anandi helps people who struggle with just about everything, but in particular their sleep. And she's experienced herself the harms of a lack of sleep and has decided to dedicate her time and her energy and her passion to guide others to take care of this powerful ingredient in our lives. Welcome to the show, Anandi. Oh, thank you so much. It's so great to be talking to you about sleep. It's my passion. <laughs> that it is, and it's a wonderful superpower. But let's begin with getting to know a bit more about you and how did you become an international sleep specialist? What motivated you to go down this road? Uh, well, my own sleep issue to go down this road because at the age of 27, I was already a chronic insomniac. Mm. And so, and I'd experienced that probably for about 10 years, probably. And it was the worst time of my life. I just felt like I wanted the ground to open up and swallow me up. And just was very, very difficult to get on with anything in life, work, relationships, having fun. It was always very difficult um, because I never knew how I was going to be the next day. So if I said, yeah, I'll come to this, I'll come to that, I never knew how I was going to feel. So I basically, um, all the experience that I've had over the years, I felt that where should I direct my energy? Because there's so much in the health and wellbeing field, right, to do. Yep. And this stuff works all over the place, but I felt it would be really appropriate for me, having experienced sleep, to dedicate my work to sleep and helping people sleep better. Mm. Yes, it definitely from listening to you, you can understand how it has a huge impact on many different aspects of joy, not just, not just on your well-being. So it's sort of mentioning your, your feeling, your belonging, your relationships, your work can influence your energy to have some fun and do other things. So it really is rather an important fundamental, I suppose, power that we need to take care of but we often abuse maybe yes we do and i think the thing is is that these days when you think about it how much stuff do we have available to us like gyms uh yoga studios naturopaths massage therapists health shops health magazines you name it we have access to it but it that the Centre for Disease Control have 
uh, regarded sleep deprivation as an epidemic level. I mean, why are we still ill? We shouldn't be ill if we have all that stuff at our fingertips, all these vitamins and everything else, but we're not well still and we're not joyful. Why? <laughs> why indeed? That's a good question. And is, do you think that's partly because we're not getting enough quality sleep? Well, I think it's, yes, there's a big part of that because there's, 10 million sleep prescriptions going out every single year, but um, in the UK, but I think it's a general lifestyle. You know, we don't have a balanced lifestyle. Mm. We don't sleep enough. We don't have enough time dedicated to having space in our life and rest. We're just on our devices from the time we wake up, from the time we go to bed. And there's no mental space. And over time, the mind is just so overrun. It's, well, it's obviously interfering with sleep because the mind is running the whole time and depending on, you know, what your constitution is. But a lot of us, our mind is just running the whole time. There's no sort of peace in the mind. And it definitely, I suppose it's a, it's a bit like any muscle, really. It needs sort of um, to rest in between sort of exertions, the body so, and the brain as well so if we go sort of back to your own sort of sleep deprivation your own sleep challenges um if you you know how did that feel to you how did you sort of come to realize you're actually you know having a having a problem do you feel in your body in any way yeah i i felt completely exhausted a hundred percent of the time i felt depressed uh irritable uh, I started having skin issues and, uh, yeah, just basically getting quite depressed and miserable. Mm. So, yeah, but, yeah, absolutely. I was completely miserable. And was I there anything that was, turned uh, you around? Uh, well, getting more sleep, basically. Actually um, going away and spending years searching for a solution. I used to be stabbing around in the dark, trying a bit of this and trying a bit of that. My mother offered me a sleeping pill, uh, which made me feel even worse. And I thought that's not the right road. So I basically searched for my own solution and eventually, eventually I found one. But it took a long time. Right. And this was pre-internet or sort of the internet was already... Sort of pre internet, you're trying and I'm very old. No, 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 not at all, and not at all. Pre smartphones, pre smartphones. Uh, it, yes, um, I, I guess it was uh, a pre smartphones, just a little bit, yes. Um, but uh, yeah, so I a lot of my research was done through talking to people and reading up and stuff and things like that so yeah yeah so so you managed to find some some knowledge some help to help your own sort of condition and then empower you to start thinking about helping others yes exactly for that excellent excellent now you're promoting something called the power of sleepology can you sort of talk to us a little bit more about what is sleepology Yes. Uh, well, basically, in my search for resolving a sleep issue, what I realised was, was that 
stabbing around in the dark doesn't work. What happens these days is that many people, they might go to the health shop, they'll take some valerian, uh, then they might find that that doesn't work and then they'll have some tea and then they might go and do a yoga class um, and then they might try some other herbal thing or whatever it is. And they're never really getting to the root of the problem. And what I discovered over the years was that healing a sleep issue and actually healing anything requires a process which starts with the why. So we have to work out what the real reason is. What's the cause of the imbalance? Because a balanced human being sleeps at night. Therefore, if you're not sleeping, there's something in your system, uh, body, mind, spirit, that is out of balance. And you can stab around taking a bit of this, doing a bit of that, but it will possibly not work because you haven't really worked out what the problem is. So you have to decide what the problem is. So in my sleepology process, of course, that's where I start. I work at finding out what the constitutional type of the person is. I look at their history from the time they were in the womb to the current day, because your life starts there. And that's where imbalances actually often start, depending on what mum's doing, depending on what sort of life mum is having, what she's eating, what her emotional, her emotional state is, what sort of birth you have, how you end up coming into the world. Was it a shock? You know, was it cesarean? Was it, you know, there's all sorts of things that happen in those very, very early stages of life that start the imbalances. And then life happens, which continues to accumulate. And then eventually your body will develop some sort of reaction to the imbalances. It could be a sleep issue, it could be mental illness, it could be depression, it could be digestive issues, it could be skin issues, it could be whatever. But there's a reason why we develop and develop diseases and manifest things. It's because it starts somewhere. And I don't think just masking the symptom works in the long run because you're you're basically if you're taking a pill you you can carry on doing the thing that created the problem in the first place so whatever you're doing is continuing to manifest while you're knocking yourself out with a drug so you're getting a, a bit of respite from the world right you're getting respite from the world you're not awake you're anesthetized you're not having proper balanced sleep cycles so I don't really see that as a great solution. I know that sometimes when you're having a terrible sleep issue and it goes on for a long time, all you want is for someone to knock you on the head so you can be unconscious because there's nothing worse day after day after day when you're not sleeping and you're gradually feeling worse and worse and worse and worse. Uh, therefore, I think... Healing a sleep issue always starts with the why, which is the first step of sleepology. Why it created, why it's been created in the first place. Well, and there's and a fantastic then, need for this, yeah? There's a fantastic need. I mean, I think when we were reading up on this, you mentioned that I think one third of the population is predisposed to insomnia. So it's, uh, it's a massive market in a way but also a massive challenge uh, for many people who are maybe not aware 
of the challenge, do you find? I think that um, they're not aware until they start not sleeping because the not sleeping bit comes after a lot of imbalances. So it's not just all of a sudden you, you stop sleeping. Things are building up in the background and then it starts to disturb your sleep for whatever reason, which is when you know we find out the why. Yeah. But it's been building for a while. It's not just all of a sudden you, you stop sleeping. It's been building up for a while and that's how your body's letting you know that, excuse me, hello, you need to do something about this. But it's just happened to manifest like that. Other people, it might manifest in something else. But specific constitutional types, it often manifests as a sleep issue. Yeah, it's interesting. So, you know, when we were looking at some of the research into, into the power of sleep, we came across this one study by um, a researcher called Bhaskar and that's with some stuff in India, which was telling, you know, also how common um, in India insomnia is, but it was sort of saying there that there's a problem that primary care physicians were often misdiagnosing it. Um, so is that sort of your experience as well? This is sort of often sort of wrongly looked at by a lot of, you know, when you go to your doctor, perhaps. I'm afraid to say yes, but it's very, very true. I have had so many clients who, I mean, you know, obviously the medical industry is amazing. They save lives. um, They save lives of people I know and all that, which is incredible. They can piece you back together when you've had a terrible accident. It's incredible. But this sort of day-to-day, not completely ill, life-threatening diseases, but these things that people go to the doctor with little niggles and clients end up getting put on sleeping medication and antidepressants often at the same time. Maybe it might start with sleep medication and then it moves into depression because when you're on sleep medication, you're not going to feel good because you're not having the correct sleep cycle. So you have to have a certain amount of REM sleep, a certain amount of deep sleep, a certain amount of light sleep every single night. If you don't get as much as you need, then you're not gonna feel, you're not gonna feel very good. So therefore the brain is not going through the cleaning process, the cleansing process, the buildup of protein that happens every single day needs to be cleansed. There's something called brain lymphatics, which is something that's recently been discovered and the brain is that has a like a lymphatic system and it drains off and cleans out the brain from the protein builds up which is actually very deeply connected to alzheimer's um and i mean i had a client recently actually who is a classic example five years ago well not recently it's five years ago she came to me and she had been on uh, sleep medication and antidepressants for years and years and years. And so when I take a client on, I don't always just rely on my own questioning. I do often a melatonin test because I like to see if there is some dysfunction in their melatonin production. Mm-hmm. And um, so I often do that with her. So anyway, I did it with her and it was there, there it was clear as, clear as anything she had a dysfunction in her circadian rhythm 
Uh, and because obviously I'm not a doctor, so I then sent her to the, back to the doctors to say, we'll show them this. And it may be that they might be able to prescribe you melatonin because although melatonin is widely available in Europe, it's not available in the UK. Yeah. Uh, you're not, and I couldn't be seen to be saying, go and, you know, right. here's a link, go and get melatonin. And then she had a heart attack or something. I mean, that would be, so I'm not qualified to do that. So I had to send her back to the doctors, but it's taken them five years to get round to prescribing her melatonin. They've only just done it five years later after she's had a nervous breakdown, she's been sectioned, she was handcuffed mm. and I've been pushing her, but I, I, my hands were tied. I'm not saying that melatonin was completely the only thing that's going to help her, but it was so frustrating. They kept pumping her with the drugs. And of course that is difficult for me to work with because it's a bit contra, it doesn't really... Mm very well and I have to try to work with the medical industry and not interfere with that because that's not my field and I can't be seen to interfere, be interfering with that so I have to rely on the medical industry so they don't they don't recognize sleep at sleep I mean they have about four hours worth of training on sleep in their whole medical thing it's a bit like nutrition it's very very small uh, therefore it's just something that is annoying and if they've got medication to help people knock people out then get them out of the surgery so to speak then it, it, they haven't got time it's not that they don't want to i just think in 10 minutes what are you going to do with someone yeah and they've got more maybe more urgent things to deal with i think the the challenge is based on what you said is that you know if somebody goes to the doctor and says you know i'm not sleeping very well and maybe the doctor asks well you know what's going on in your life right now and they say well i'm stressed at work and you know that sort of end of conversation rather than you would say well no we really need to sort of pull back from that last sort of straw that broke the camel's back so to speak and look at this more holistically uh, what are the root causes in your whole life maybe in going back um, even to childhood and so on to try to understand where these issues could be coming from rather than just rely on what was that last point that the person themselves remembers as their challenge in life. Wonderful, wonderful. And I'm going to talk about your, your book on sleep where you introduce the power of breathing on sleep. So we'd like to tell us a bit more about how breathing and sleep are connected. Yes. So basically the breath is intimately connected to the nervous system. And there's a different breathing pattern for every single emotional state. You would not believe how, um, how much the breath reflects the state of your nervous system. And you can change the state of your nervous system by just literally changing your breathing pattern. You can move yourself from parasympathetic uh, that's the stress response to the sympathetic, uh, sorry, parasympathetic, which is the relaxation response versus the um, sympathetic, which is a stress response. So um, literally by changing the breathing pattern, you can change your emotional state and change the state of your mind. And literally, you know, if you, if you were to do some very slow breathing before bed, that would help enormously. I mean, there's all sorts of things, you know, the, 
there's different parts of the nervous system that are connected to the inhale and the exhale. It's quite a big subject, but suffice to say that the breath affects everything. It affects everything that you bring into your space. It affects your digestive system. It affects your detoxification system. It affects your circulatory system and it affects your ability to communicate and uh, be effective in the world, basically, and be creative. It's a really massive subject, and I find I found it so fascinating, which is why I ended up writing a book on it. Right. But um, book, and that was called "Breathe Better, Sleep Better: How to Use the Breath to Get a Great Night's Sleep." There was some research done um, with uh, war veterans that were suffering from post-traumatic stress disorder, and they were given breathing exercises. Um, the drugs weren't working, but actually the breathing exercises that they were given um, were so much more effective than the drugs. So, yeah, it, it's a really interesting subject and very, very, very effective. But it's like all these things. I find in the West that people very, we're very much wired for a quick fix, right? So we want it tomorrow. We want to feel better tomorrow and we want to sleep tonight. Therefore, we'll try breathing, but sorry, if it doesn't work tonight, I'm not doing it anymore. <laughs> and the thing is with holistic healing and, and natural healing is that you've got to give it time. It's not a pill, it's, you know, nature doesn't actually work like that. You have to actually give it the water, sunshine and love, right? In order for it to respond and the physical, you know, the mind, body, spirit to respond to the things that you're doing. And it does require time. And I think with natural healing, and if you want to heal naturally, which is obviously by far the best way, because otherwise you'll be on drugs for the rest of your life. You've got to be prepared to put a bit of uh, investment in time in it in order for it to work. But I can tell you it does work. Natural healing absolutely works if you give it the time and the awareness that, uh, that it needs. Yeah, and no, I can definitely, is there, I don't know if there's a sort of a golden rule of thumb on that amount of time, or is it sort of totally personal? You know, for some people, it could be fairly quick and other people would have to work at it much harder, I presume, before that habit becomes a new habit, that that breathing becomes sort of a natural aid to sleep. I think it, it depends very much on how that person is and how unwell that person is and how long they've spent uh, creating this health issue. If you think that it can, people might be manifesting this for years, it's going to take, it can take a good three months to get to the other side, or it could take nine months, or it could take three weeks. It depends yeah. on the level and the degree of problem that they have and how bad it is so it very it's very I mean my program for example it's a 10-week program but I don't always do it in 10 weeks sometimes we you know depending I let the person know before I start if I think it's going to take longer and then we'll do something a bit more bespoke yeah. but the process is you know there's a theme for every single you know, it's a 10-week process but it can take longer and it can take can not take so long 
it just depends on the degree and the type of person and the constitutional type and the level of the imbalances. Mm. But it's definitely, um, you know, really good sounding help to, to helping people sleep more healthily. Um, so even if it does take a bit of effort, somebody who is, you know, struggling with their, their sleep could definitely be well worth looking into how they could um, improve their breathing as well. Yeah, we recently read your, your post on LinkedIn about sleep retreat DIY, which sounds like an exciting alternative to an expensive vacation and, and certainly more cost efficient. Could you tell us a bit about what is a sleep retreat DIY or a DIY sleep retreat? Yeah, uh, well, basically, um, I actually came up with the idea in the pandemic because obviously I used to run quite a lot, quite a lot of sleep retreats before the pandemic. And uh, when obviously everything shut down, I thought it would be a great idea to create a home retreat. And post pandemic, with all the problems with travel and everything, and also with the cost of living going up, I thought it'd be a great idea to create a little ritual for a weekend retreat because when people are working from home, I think it starts to overflow into everything and you never really switch off from anything. So I think, and, and most of us, if we're really honest, we never switch our devices off. I mean, you know, even me, the sleep guru, I mean, my computer just goes into sleep mode. I never turn it off. And I think occasionally it's great to go right Friday to Monday morning. I'm actually going to turn the computer off and I'm going to give my my brain uh, some space. And that can make all the difference when you're feeling a bit stressed and a bit exhausted and overwhelmed. Because a home retreat doesn't cost you anything. You can just really what you need to be doing is just switching off your devices, gathering a few practices together, having a weekend of very healthy eating that everyone can do that. In fact, it costs less than you would normally because you're not drinking wine, you're not eating rich foods, you're eating very simple foods, drinking lots of water, no alcohol, um, herbal teas, not loads of coffee. And you're having some practices, whether it's a yoga practice or a breath practice or meditation practices or yoga nidra practices, you know, but choosing a couple of things that aren't complicated that you know how to do and that doesn't involve you having to turn your computer on. And you basically uh, just have the whole weekend just nourishing, being quiet, contemplating, picking up a book and reading it. So can you imagine from Friday evening, you know, let's say Friday 6 p.m. till Monday morning, how much headspace you're going to get by actually not being tied to your device, constantly checking email, looking at your WhatsApp messages constantly, and just having a retreat. Literally, it's, it's mind-blowing how much difference that makes and how refreshing it is for the mind. And you may well find, you know, after that retreat, then you might start sleeping better. Like the Sunday night, you might find actually that, wow, I slept really well last night because you're, you're winding down. We're, we're just coiled up the whole time. The mind is racing the whole time. Breathing is getting shallow, faster, 
and you know with posture the posture is no good and there's so many things that we don't really pay attention to but all these things as the stress builds the breathing pattern gets faster you're sitting at your desk more your posture gets worse the breathing is a was worse as a as a result of your bad posture you become you know unfit less flexible because you're not moving so much you're not getting so much fresh air you know all these things start to accumulate over time and when you're older i think it's even more important to pay attention to these things things like posture breathing flexibility moving um, you know, having enough rest, resting the brain, you know, rejuvenating the body, eating healthy foods, because you're not as efficient as you get older. And I think it's important to recognize that if you keep pushing the body beyond the boundaries and running uphill against nature, you're going to have to pay for it at some point. And that could be in a number of different ways. Sleep, you know, issues is, is, is one of them. Uh, maybe that's what Kate Bush was talking about in her running up that hill song. We don't know. We don't know. Uh, anyway, no, I, I totally love the idea of that. I imagine, you know, some people have a challenge with the withdrawal symptoms already, <laughs> even thinking about not touching their devices for two and a half days. And so, but I think it's super important to give that space, I think is what you're saying, and to have a program in a way, a simple sort of ritual pattern makes it easier maybe to become a habit than it would if you're just trying to sort of do it yourself randomly. Yeah, I think following a little ritual like the one I've put in my in my article uh, is 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 good because you go, right, okay, I'm, you organise it before you start. Don't just go, well, I'm going to just randomly do it. You know, have a little programme for yourself. You know, you're going to get up, and you're going to drink this and eat that and you know you'll have a little program and organize your weekend so that you know you're not tempted to just go oh I'm quite relaxed now I think I want the movie no no that's not the plan right. just have a peek so, just in case there is some message for me on, on that telephone yeah exactly exactly I mean obviously if you've got children and you know there, there are things that of course one has to consider if you've got kids that are out, you know, you can't necessarily not have your phone on, but yeah. you can check it just once a day or just have it just in case it's cool or something like that. Right. But we're used to actually checking it hundreds of times a day. I mean, there were some stats. I can't actually remember them off the top of my head, but I did write a blog um, called Digifrenia. I think it's on, my, it's on my blog somewhere. And there's all sorts of stats on there at the number of times that people open their phone and check their email and it's actually quite staggering you don't you don't realize how many times a day you're actually doing it correct correct very addictive and designed obviously with that in mind to, to keep us coming back for that that next message that next hit or potential hit of dopamine that we might get from that so i can understand that this is a beautiful thing this retreat to to do that does it sort of suit for everybody, do you think, or, or is it more suitable for people in a certain situation? What's your sort of experience? I think, obviously, everyone's different. You know, if you're living in a tiny apartment, you know, with four kids, you might find it quite difficult to do that. Uh, you might have to 
organize yourself in a different way you know like going out for a few walks or you know letting everyone know you're going to be you know in your in your room and not to be disturbed I mean there's there's all sorts of things that you have to be have to consider um but you know you have to probably do your own version of it of course if you live out in the country and you know you've got lots of space then of course it's much much easier but I think everyone could do something for a weekend to take the pressure off, turn off the devices for sure, go out for a few walks, take a few deep breaths, read something as opposed to search the internet or watch Netflix. I mean, there are things that you can do that doesn't involve an awful lot of effort mm. and space. For that, which sort of is a good segue, I suppose, into the talk a little bit about physical exercise and how that interacts with sleep. We were looking at some um, research by the Swedish doctor and psychiatrist Anders Hansen in his book named The Real Happy Pill, in which he doesn't obviously advocate any medical pill, but rather the benefits of physical exercise and one being the reduction of stress, which is obviously a core root of sleep disruption in many cases so how do you see physical exercise fitting into to your view on balance and and sleep yeah I think it's very very important movement is very important uh, for even things for like posture and breath if you're not moving and opening your body and stretching your body and moving your lungs then your breathing pattern is going to be much shorter and much shallower. They're literally from the, from the point of view of good breathing, exercise is very important, opening up the body, stretching the body to make sure that you're making the most of the breathing apparatus. And you can actually take a deep breath because in my book, I have a practice called the breath liberation practice. And that was really designed to open up the breathing apparatus in order for you to be able to take a deep breath because what happens is over time is the actual breathing apparatus become tight the muscles in the um you know the the, the muscles around the lungs that you know you use as breathing um you know, opening the lungs and closing the lungs you know the diaphragm and all that but the, the, the intercostal muscles that, sorry that's the word I was looking for and there's a muscle in the back of the lungs or the back of the back called um, the depression muscle. And that becomes tight, which means that it's more difficult to actually take a deep breath. Mm. The more stressed you become, the tighter your chest and thoracic cavity become. And the more difficult it is to actually take a deep breath. Therefore, your breathing becomes more shallow. If your breathing becomes more shallow, then your mind is going to be racing more. So people who are getting out, doing a bit of exercise, stretching their body, and whatever exercise they be a good thing to keep their breathing apparatus mobile and flexible so that you can actually take a deep breath. Because a lot of people go off and they try to do complicated pranayama breathing exercises but they don't have the lung capacity to do it because yeah. they're inflexible. Therefore, moving and exercise is, from the perspective of breathing, I think very important, but also mental, 
fitness as well, you know, happiness, as you say, going out into nature, having a good walk, breathing fresh air, it's got to be a good thing. Yeah, definitely. So it's, it's what probably suggesting to people, you know, a good three prong approach to this, at least to the basic level is to, to make sure that you're getting enough physical exercise and, you know, improving your breathing techniques, which probably combined will at least help you, you sleep better than you were doing otherwise. Yeah, I mean, there's also in going back to my sleepology, we only just covered like the why, yep. uh, the first pillar, but there's another four pillars. So the next pillar is actually working out what you need. Once you've worked out why you're not sleeping very well and where the imbalances are, you then need to decide on what the program's going to be, what you need. And then that all starts with the mental resilience, which involves breathing and all the things that we've been talking about. Yeah. And the massive, massive thing that's often missed is the, the digestive system, because the digestive system has a huge impact on your mental health and well-being and sleep. And if your digestive system is disturbed, then it's quite likely that your mental well-being and your sleep will be disturbed your uh, microbiome in your gut has its own circadian rhythm and if that's disturbed then it's quite likely that your circadian rhythm will be disturbed so digestion is a really fundamental part of the work that I do making sure that people's digestion is good that's mental and physical physical obviously is very important but mental digestion is also very important uh, so you have the why the mental resilience the digestive system and then nourishment so if your digestive system is working well you'll get the nourishment you need to feed the brain and soothe the nerves if you don't have a good digestive system you're not going to be able to get the nutrients into the system in order to soothe the nerves you're going to be frazzled the whole time but what's the point in taking a load of health food and vitamins if your digestive system is compromised? Therefore, it has to be in that order. Many people, going back to stabbing around in the dark and all that, many people will be buying all sorts of vitamins and goodness knows what when they can't even digest it. It's not going to be helping because their digestive system isn't working properly. So yeah. in, Ayurveda, in Ayurveda, it's one of the biggest pillars of health and well-being. I was going to say, uh, it, it's something, you know, with the Ayurveda and the Ayurvedic principles um, ingrained in that, but I presume it's still very much um, a well-kept secret, I presume, from, you know, the mainstream. I think it's because it's the way that allopathic medicine works. They don't consider the, the human being as like a whole being. They consider the digestive system on its own, the mental health on its own, the broken leg on its own. They consider things in isolation as opposed to holistically. But Ayurveda is, is very intelligent years old and it's only lost its importance or prominence, shall I say, in the world because the British Raj, when they're in India, shut them down mm. because they considered it to be woo, too woo-woo. And I think it lost a lot of its prominence in the medical world. It has come back, but I think that did it a lot of damage. So 
many people don't even haven't even heard of the word Ayurveda or don't don't really know what it is, but they were very, very intelligent. They have a very intelligent healing system that's based on common sense. And it's 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 just, yeah, I would say it's just commonsensical. And unfortunately, it's lost a little bit of its prominence in the medical world, I think, which is a shame, really. And also Ayurveda considers being joyful as part of your well-being, which is interesting. It's very important to be joyful, to be well, right? Yeah, definitely. I don't know whether it's, you know, chicken and eggs or, but it doesn't matter. Um, it doesn't matter which way around it is. They, they are certainly linked very strongly. You know, I think that really interesting point that you said to, you know, think about the digestive system before you think about the, what you're putting in it. We've talked a lot about sleep and obviously more broadly about holistic health. If you had, um, Alison, to sort of wrap it up in the, the sort of the three tips you would like to leave our readers with, our listeners with today, sorry, on improving their sleep, what would those be? I think the first tip is if you're not sleeping very well, be honest with yourself and go, what could this be about? Instead of just thinking of the immediate problem, how is this created? Consider your lifestyle a, a very big reason why you're not sleeping very well. That means what you do with your time from the time you get up to the time you go to bed. And also, are you giving yourself enough mental space? Right, so sort of root causes, lifestyle, and mental space would be the, the top three places you would encourage people to start on this journey to sleeping better. Yeah, I think it's a very good place to start. Always look to the root cause. Most sleep issues are, are lifestyle related. Um, that includes everything about your lifestyle from what you eat to what you do. And uh, yeah, it, it's, yeah, it, it's a holistic thing. So you need to be looking at every single area of your life uh, in order to start unraveling the problem. It's a bit like when you tie a shoelace and it's gone into a bit of a terrible knot and you go, oh my God, I'm going to have to unravel that and look at it slowly, how on earth it's not something you can do quickly. You have to unravel it and go, okay, that went there and that went there. So yeah, very much about taking a good, honest look about how your lifestyle and your life could have created the situation that you're currently in. Yeah, and I suppose the more we ignore it, the longer it takes, the more knots we get and the, the tighter those knots become. Very much so. Excellent, excellent. And, you know, if we have people who are listening who want to go deeper into this topic of sleep, do you have any resources or recommendations? Yeah, I have a, a load of blogs on my website. I have a sleep quiz on my website so you can find out what your sleep type is. There's a special breath download, a free resource down well. There's plenty of free stuff on there. And you can also book a free discovery call with me by going through the website. There's a, there's a button on there that says book a call with an Andy. So you can just go on there and 
I'm happy to talk to you about where you're at and any advice I can give you and, you know, help you with the next steps. Excellent. That's a wonderful resource. So um, we will share the link to that definitely um, in the show notes. And my final question to you today is what brings you joy? Oh, what brings me joy? Space brings me joy and a beautiful view. When I'm when I'm peaceful and view in front of me, that just brings me an immense amount of joy. That's beautiful. Say amen to that, definitely. Well, thank you so much, Anandi, for coming on the show today and for talking to us about about sleep. It's been a real pleasure to to talk with you today. Um, Very inspiring, lots of, of wonderful inspiration as well as practical tips on how to sleep better and add more joy to your life in that way. Oh, you're very welcome. It's been a pleasure talking to you today, Andrew. Really nice. Excellent. Well, listeners, if you do want to find out more about Anandi's activities, please visit her website, thesleepguru.co.uk. And you can also find Anandi very active on LinkedIn through Anandi the Sleep Guru. Definitely worth looking out. And as I mentioned earlier, her book, Breathe Better, Sleep Better, If this discussion inspires you, please share your experiences on the power of sleep um, using the hashtag joy superpowers. And if you don't already do so, please follow the art and science of joy across social media. Come join the conversation and help us spread the joy. Thanks once again for listening. And I hope you tune in for the next episode of the art and science of joy podcast. Until then, stay well, stay joyful and sleep tight.